and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today on the show, we're going to talk a little about prepay, especially some of the risks and the benefits in regards to prepay. We're also going to spend a lot of time getting to your questions. It's getting toward the end of the year here, and the emails have been piling up in the Ag PhD email box. Uh, if you would like to email us a question, it is radio at agphd.com. Otherwise, you can certainly call us here. Our phone lines will be open all throughout the day. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. All right, so when it comes to prepay, I'll just say this. It is something that we do on our own farm every year, and the the two reasons why, well, actually three reasons. The three top reasons why are these. Number one, we are very focused on profitability. So we're trying to make more money just like you are. And when we can get better deals, that's when we want to buy. Now, fertilizer, that can really vary. A lot of times, fertilizer hits its seasonal low in August and September. So that's typically when we're buying fertilizer. Seed, usually the cheapest deal is September, sometimes November. And with Ag Chem, it's generally speaking December. Now, every once in a while, you might say, well, boy, I can buy some some chem in September, like Roundup, for example. Yes, there are a few exceptions, but here's the thing. What did I just say? I talked about August, September, November, and December. All right, that's all the, we'll call them fall months. Uh, So late summer, fall months, early winter. I mean, that's typically when you're able to get the better deal. But that's, and I, I would say that's the number one reason why we're prepaying. Number two, we're always looking at, we want to, uh, let's say, even out our income, okay? With farming, there's tremendous variability, as you know. So we've had everything the last few years from flood to drought, from high prices to low prices, uh, big time expenses, lesser expenses. I, I mean, there are a lot of factors here. And then you enter Mother Nature. In like this last year, there was hail, there was the, all the big winds, uh, I mean, all kinds of issues out there. So it's nice when you can kind of even things out. The other way to look at that is, okay, if, you, if it looked like this was a really good year, maybe you want to lessen that a little bit and push some of that income into next year. Well, if you're a farmer who, who has cash accounting, that's what you're allowed to do. And if you're a non-farmer and you're going, wait a second, you're saying that farmers can prepay and delay their tax bill, that doesn't sound fair. That doesn't sound right. Well, that is fair, and it is right, and here's why the government does that. Because they understand, too, that, I mean, literally one year in the farm, you might make 100000 and the next year you lose 100000 Well, you need to average that out. This is not a normal business. So, anyway, that's the first thing. The second thing is the only way that the farmer gets the prepay expense is by putting cash out into the economy. And as you are probably well aware, the government loves it. When cash goes out into the economy, that's what they say makes the economy run. So they want that. They want that push and getting all that money out into the economy. Anyway, so 
Uh, oh, by the way, since we have a lot of listeners in, in Canada, I don't know how things run in Canada, so I'm not a tax expert there or, or or anything like that, but I have a real good idea of how things run here in the United States. And we do have these, I, I'm not going to call them tax breaks, but I will say it just allows you to kind of manipulate things a little bit, and it's perfectly legal, but as I always say, Make sure you talk to your tax professional before you make any of these decisions. Anyway, the final reason, the third reason why we will typically buy early is to lock in supply, especially when it comes to seed. With chem, let's say it's Roundup, all right? I want more Roundup. Well, literally, they fire the plant up and they produce more Roundup. It's the exact same whether they made it in April or December or August. It's the same stuff, okay? Or basically the same. Whereas with seed, there are certain, if there are certain varieties you want or maybe need, well, when they're gone, they're gone. And you can say, well, maybe they'll produce some in South America and ship them up here. <laughs> okay. Well, a lot of times when they do that, it doesn't show up on time. The seed quality is terrible. I hate the seed quality coming out of South America. Darren can talk to you more about that than me because he sees a lot of this breeder stuff. We work with a lot of the seed breeders and we're running test plots and everything else. The seeds junk half the time and you don't want that kind of seed quality and you don't want it three weeks late. And you have to pay an exorbitant price when they have to produce it in South America. So that doesn't fly very well. So the way you get ahead of this is by locking things in early. So anyway, those are the three main reasons why we like prepaying and why we would encourage you to at least take a look at it. But there are some big time risks. So I just remember there were some farmers I used to work with that they were really good farmers, big farmers, made all kinds of money. And they were just, I mean, literally their whole life was farming. And... We, we talk about prepay every year, and I'm trying to give them advice on this and that and everything, and I was a pretty young agronomist, and they were just talking to me about, well, we got to be really careful where our money goes because we put some money with this guy, he went broke. We put some money with this guy, he went broke. We did this, and I don't know what happened to that company. They just disappeared. And <laughs> I'm going, oh, my gosh, you guys, how much have you lost to these people that you prepaid. And they said, yeah, we've kind of learned the hard way on that. So I, I, I will just say this. If you are at all concerned about your money, get the product immediately. Get the product immediately. Take it home. If you can't take it home, then don't prepay with that company if you feel there's too much risk. Because when you prepay even $20,000 or $50,000 or whatever. That is a lot of money to lose if somebody just takes it, runs off with it, or if they go bankrupt before you can get the product. And you might say, oh, that'll probably never happen. It happens every single year to hundreds and maybe even thousands of farmers, depending on the year. So be really, really careful about that. Beyond that, just ask the questions about, all right, well, what happens with the returns and exchanges? And how, do, how does that whole thing work? What if I need the money back? Can I get it back right away? Can I get interest on the money? Just make sure you ask all the good questions up front because before you write the check, you're the one in control. Once you've given your money to someone else, now they're in control. So we're big, big, big on prepay, but we got to be really careful and we would advise you just be cautious about who you're prepaying to. All right, we're going to get to some of your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag next. It's about time. 
Applied Planning, new Zyway 3D fungicide from FMC delivers foliar disease protection from planting to harvest. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves from the soil through the corn as it grows for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. For season-long protection, choose first-of-its-kind Enfurrow Zyway 3D fungicide. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. The Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plug nozzles and improves cleanout of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, insulation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed to soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. All right, our phone lines are going to be open the rest of the show today. 844-44-AG-PHD. If you've got an agronomic question, please call. We would love to help you with it. Even if it seems like, well, I don't really need to know that answer for quite a while. We want to help you right now so you can make your plans. Because like Brian was talking about prepay here, there are a lot of those decisions getting made right now, and maybe that impacts what herbicide you prepay for or, or, or exactly what you're doing at this time of year. Uh, for example, got a question here from Dylan down in Nebraska. He said, really struggling controlling fall panicum in seed corn. Have been using a full rate of dual or metallochlor plus an HPPD in the past. I'm wondering, what would be your recommendation to get ahead of this? I don't have all the choices I would have in regular commercial corn. Well, you're absolutely right about that, Dylan. you got less choices. You really have to worry about, Brian was talking about seed production just a little bit ago, and you really have to worry about safety around those inbreds, and there are only so many herbicides that they're even going to allow you to spray in seed corn production. So obviously, if that field is rotating, you need to do a fantastic job in the rotation. But here you go. You've got a summer annual weed that pops up later. And when you open that canopy up, detasseling, and when you've got male rows that are going to get taken out, those kinds, kinds of things, you're just going to have more sunlight getting through and you're going to have those late season weeds pop up. Okay. 
We have an app for this. It's the Ag PhD Field Guide. Not necessarily app. for seed corn production, no, but, but what but you can we, do in corn. Yeah, but we talk about corn at least. And then you'll know whether you can use that in seed corn and which inbreds that can be used on and that kind of thing. So anyway, at least get it gets you a start. All right. So we, we have in there our best ways to control weeds like fall panicum. So you can look up in the Ag PhD field guide, fall panicum, and then look at corn, wheat, and soybeans. So like Darren said, the big problem here is it comes up a little bit later. So your pre-emerge residual is usually dying out. So if there's a way you can add more of that group 15 residual a little later, that's great. We also talk about balance flex. So when you say HPPD later, I'm guessing it's something like Laudus or Impact. And they're fine products, but Balance Flex is better on grasses. And Balance Flex is the pre-emerge version. So if that can be used in your hybrids, or I should say your inbreds, then that's one of the things that I would consider taking a look at. Uh, otherwise, we usually talk in corn about Accent or Beacon post-emerge. Obviously, Roundup and Liberty have activity as well. So if it happens to be Roundup-ready corn then, and you're able to spray glyphosate later, that would be great. I'm just saying we've got to do something more than we usually do with fall panicum. It's just not as easy to control as those foxtails that where the group 15s are great on them to begin with. But then secondly, the foxtails come up much earlier in the season. So right at the point when you've put the product on, the weed's trying to germinate. Okay, we got a great dose and that's, that's just fine. So anyway... Those are the things that I would take a look at on fall panicum. And again, like Darren said, just make absolutely sure in your off years of seed corn, you are doing everything you can. So there's not one single weed that goes to seed. And pretty soon you'll have this thing under control. All right. Thanks for that question. We appreciate that. I got this one from Alexander. He said, why do you at Ag PhD only focus on corn and soybeans? Can't you put some content out about cotton and chili? Okay, uh, the reason why we focus on corn, soybeans, and to some degree wheat is because those are the predominant crop uh, crops in the United States. We farm in the United States, we raise corn and soybeans on most of our acres, and then uh, we do some wheat and some other crops as well. But anyway, it's it's just focused on the majority of the acres. So can we talk about some of those other things? Yes. But I hate to say this, but like in the northern part of the United States, um, we're most of us are not cotton experts. <laughs> so I, when I can't raise, well, I, I shouldn't say I can't raise it on our farm. We actually have raised a little bit of cotton before. There's no chance of it making it. We don't have enough heat up here. We need lights. A lot of times, you're going to see cotton grown where you, where there's lighter soil and there's lots of heat to get the stuff finished off. A lot of times it's under irrigation. But anyway, we just don't have those conditions. So we're not raising cotton here ourselves. And we like talking about things firsthand and especially where, you know, like corn and soybeans and a lot of these products that we talk about, we have, I mean, decades of experience, lots of experience with hundreds of thousands of farmers. So we're trying to talk about the things that we are truly experts at as well. But yes, we can get into some of those other crops just a little bit. Uh, hey, Darren, I literally just had one come in from Cody that I thought was good about uh, dicamba for early posting corn. 
He asks, with all of the different forms of dicamba for corn, I'm looking for your opinion on which one or ones would you recommend? So basically it comes back to, should it be the Banvel version? Should it be the Clarity version? Should we go with something like Diflex that is nothing more than Clarity plus a safener? Um, Should we look at Status, for example, that has a little bit of dicamba, and mostly it's another herbicide that's that's giving us the control. So, Cody, look, I just say this: uh, um, if you're spraying before V2, then the safener doesn't make as much difference in my experience. I would probably, I'm fine with Banvel, but if you want to go Clarity, if it only costs a tiny little bit more, that's okay. When you really start needing the safener is after V2. So we, you know, we often have said, hey, V2 to V5, that's the the ideal time for controlling some of these weeds. Well, it is, but regular dicamba without the safener can be pretty hard in the corn, and you see lodging from time to time and even green snap. So we would recommend after V2 that you have a safener in there. So going with either Diflex or a safe inversion uh, of dicamba that is in status and a much lower rate that's in the status. The main weed killer, by the way, in status is Diflufenzapir, and status is my all-time favorite corn herbicide for broadleaves. The thing I don't like, though, is it's also the most expensive corn herbicide for broadleaves today. So if money was not an object, I'd use status, and I'd use it literally every single time it is that good. If you're concerned about the money, then you go other dicamba. I would spray it on time. Get it done by V5. Yeah, so even with a safener, we still are going to recommend you get things done by V5 because we just don't know how the year is going to turn out and if the safener will be 100% or only 80%. All right, let's head to the phone lines here. We got Dale with us down in Florida. Dale, good to hear from you. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? We're, do- um, we're doing question. well. Um, I've got some people interested in me growing sorghum, and it's not growing in this area because I, I, I hear there's a lot of problems with you know I'm in Northwest Florida, I'm you know close to Alabama, right? In that area, do you have any I mean recommendations or ideas what the problems are? Now, are you talking grain sorghum? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. So typically with grain sorghum, we have seen that grown in drier areas. Yes, you could end up with some disease problems when you take it out of where it normally thrives. So that would be one of the concerns. The biggest concern we have a lot of times with bringing crops out of one area and into another area is just, is it going to dollar out? So for example, we've raised some grain sorghum on our farm here the last few years, not a lot, but some, and it just hasn't even been close to the kind of dollars that we can generate with corn and soybeans. And that's even with some pretty darn good yields. Now, do you have a local feed market, Dale? Is that what they're after? No, it's, believe it or not, um, there's a bunch of doctors over in South Georgia that have quail farms. Sure. Okay. And they won't yeah. sorghum. Yeah. So let's put it this way. You can raise almost anything if the price is right. Okay. <laughs> so if it was me, I might try a few different varieties and just see how it does in your area. But my suggestion would be talk to the companies that uh, that produce the grain sorghum and get their recommendations. Because yeah, in your hot, humid weather, I don't know exactly how it's going to do. Typically, grain sorghum can do fine 
with lots of heat. It's just the humidity. That's where you start getting a lot more disease issues. In terms of like weed control, it's not a real big deal. We were just talking about this the other day on the show. Uh, you want to start with a good group 15 like Outlook. Make sure you get your, your Milo or, or grain sorghum safened so you can use a group 15 herbicide. And also pre-emerge, you could use something like Sharpen. Follow post-emerge with Husky would be our number one recommendation. Uh, post-emerge for grass, Facet is about all you've got. So there aren't a lot of choices out there, but they are good ones for herbicides for grain sorghum. Thank you. You bet. Yeah, thanks for the call, Dale. Appreciate it. Yeah, I can see disease being a potential issue. I can see fungicide use being really important to, to try to get that crop to grow there. Yeah, for him, yep. All right, stay tuned. We'll be right back. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe next spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed treatment from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking to have your seed pre-treated with Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. When it comes to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Credit Extreme, the herbicide with dual salt technology that makes all the difference. Faster uptake, quicker rain fastness, and better control in variable weather, something we've all had our fair share of. When you need more powerful weed control for challenges like lamb's quarters and velvet leaf, with excellent safety to round up ready crops, you need Credit Extreme. New Farm and Credit Extreme, here to help. Got resistant weeds? Add Tough 5EC as your post-emergence tank mix partner to deliver the knockout punch to Palmer Amaranth and Waterhem. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide for post-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds, especially resistant strains. Tough 5EC is manufactured by Beltram Crop Protection, an agrochemical company focused on providing innovative products with strong technical support. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BeltramUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite Genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Welcome 
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're taking your calls and questions all throughout the rest of the show. We started off talking about prepay and just some of the benefits and risks of that. Obviously, we don't have to talk about that for an hour. If you want to hear a little more about that, we'd be happy to to share some experiences or some ideas about that. But also, if you've got agronomic questions, we really want to help you with those. So again, 844-44-AG-PHD is our phone line or radio at agphd.com if you'd like to send us an email. Got this one from Matt, and, and we went through some of his soil tests here a week or so ago, and he said, Brian mentioned that his goal is to get the field to 100 parts per million of available phosphate. Is my understanding correct that the P1 test should then target 44 parts per million of phosphorus and the calculation would be 44 parts per million get you up to 100 parts per million of phosphate? Just wonder if that's correct or if he was talking about something different. No, I was talking about actual phosphorus. So I want lots of phosphorus out there in total. So, yeah, I'm talking about 100 parts per million of actual and phosphorus. And you don't have to do all that at once. And right. here's the thing. You've got to step everything up together because the biggest mistake you'd make is if you just said, well, Brian must be 100% right. So I'm just going to go with 100, 100 parts per million of phosphorus everywhere and spend all my money on phosphorus. No, you can't right. do that because we were talking right. about the ratios of some of these nutrients, and all of a sudden you put on all that phosphorus, you don't have zinc availability. Yep. So you got to step those other things up as well. And again, I would just say this. The, the big thing about farming is we don't want to make big mistakes. And yeah, if you're going to spend hundreds of dollars an acre on fertility, you better be sure that you're doing the right thing. So hundreds of dollars per acre. So what I would do is take one field or part of a field and, and start doing some of these things and start stepping your way towards that and seeing how the yields respond and seeing what your plant tissue tests tell you and what your soil tests tell you. And you'll learn a lot along the way. The, the benefit that Brian and I have got is we've been doing this stuff for a long time. And so we've already done this on small scale trials. We've already done this on a field and then another field. And then when those are our highest yielding fields, it's pretty easy to pull the trigger and say, okay, well, that worked on these fields. Let's do the ones right across the road. Okay. So let me, let me just explain this a little more because depending on who's listening here today, you might go, oh my gosh, he's way overboard. No, no, I'm really not for my situation. So to begin with, you got to be careful about phosphorus. We can't have crazy amounts of phosphorus in the top inch of soil because we're worried about erosion, wind or rain. And when that soil goes, the phosphorus goes because phosphorus doesn't move down in soil. Um, it, it's, it's just not going to move. So where you place it, that's where it stays. And if it's in that top inch, we got a real problem if it, let's say, washes into a stream, it washes into a lake, that is not good. That's not good for the environment. And it's also not good for you because you just lost a whole bunch of money. So we like injecting that phosphorus down into the ground a little ways to protect it. The next thing is when you look at 100 parts per million of phosphorus, that's that's 230 pounds, or sorry, par, that's 230 parts per million of phosphate. And if you multiply that times two, so we've got 460. Okay, now here's the way that I look at this. I'm going to have hopefully some spots out in my cornfield. They're going to make 350. If I do, that's about 180 pounds of phosphate that I'm going to remove from that soil. A lot of it goes away with the grain when the grain leaves the field, but I need 180 that's available for that crop. So I'm talking about maybe 40% of all the soil's phosphate I'm going to pull up. 
to me, when I think about all the tie-up and the fact that the roots don't find the phosphorus that's out in the soil and phosphate that's out in the soil, and the fact that phosphorus doesn't move, phosphate is it's locked in basically where you place it, uh, it's not like nitrogen or sulfur. That's going to move around in the soil and boron too. So a lot of times you can extract much more of what's in the soil percentage-wise than you can with these nutrients like phosphorus and zinc. That They are locked in place. So for me to achieve very high yields in our heavy soil with very little rainfall, this is what I feel I have to do. But like Darren said, if I'm going to do that, I've got to have my phosphorus to zinc at roughly 10 to 1. I've got to have my phosphorus to copper at roughly 30 to 1. Otherwise, we have, we have proven that you're losing yield. So you can't overdo it on zinc or copper or phosphorus in relation to the others. we got to be thinking about that all the time. But, yeah, to Darren's point, just keep working on it slowly. But look at, look at the crop removal for any nutrient that you're going to put out there. And then, again, think about, okay, does that nutrient move very well in soil moisture or does it not? If it doesn't move very well, then you got to have more out there so the plant can definitely get it during the growing season. All right. Thanks for the follow-up question. Really appreciate that. Get this from Shane in Michigan. He said, I've got some different small areas, less than an acre generally, on my home farm that have underproduced for a few years. So I took samples from those spots and also a spot that's going to be number seven on there that's from a good producing area in my field where I had 250 bushel corn. I was considering what to do about sample number one. It looks to me like I need to bring my calcium down and lower my pH. Just wondering what you would do to bring that about or if there's some other things you notice. And also just wanted to say thank you. I've learned a lot from your show. Okay, I found it interesting where his best producing ground is 9.3% base saturation K. The part he's talking about only has 4% base saturation K. And four we talk about as the minimum and all the time. And what's the CEC in this ground? Uh, it's very light. It's eight. And that's the whole thing. When you start talking really light soil, a four C a four base saturation K isn't going to cut it because here's the problem. He only has 121 parts per million of potassium. So just like we were talking about with the phosphorus thing, potassium, it'll move easier in soil. Plus, uh, it, you know, this is light soil. So I'm not saying that potassium is completely like phosphorus. But where what I am saying here is you've got to have enough pounds in that soil for the crop you're after. By the way, I was just talking about 350 bushel corn that my our very, very best spots will hit. Do you know how much potassium it takes? It takes 472 pounds of K2O potassium for 350 bushel corn. 472 He's got 121 parts per million, so you double that to get pounds, so you're at, what, 242, and then you multiply that times 1.2. So, you know, we're right around 300, and you need 500 for 350 bushel corn. So you can see where the, the problem is here. So definitely need more potassium. The phos His phosphorus levels are actually really good. They're 100 plus, so that's, that's kind of what I would shoot for. But then we start looking at all these other nutrients. So just for example, sulfur, very low, five parts per million. That's, that's just not there. And copper is only one part per million. Boron is 0.3 parts per million. So I'd be, I'd be focused on those nutrients and 
building those nutrients up, I wouldn't worry too much about, hey, I have 83% calcium. Would I like to see that at 80 or maybe 75? Sure. But it's not that big a deal. And by the way, if you just raise your potassium, the calcium number is going to come down because it's simply a ratio. So I wouldn't focus on calcium and magnesium. They're actually good. What I would focus on is all these other nutrients it takes to raise a great crop. Get more potassium out there, sulfur, copper, boron. You should be in pretty good shape. All right. Thanks for the questions. Uh, okay. Got this from Roger in Central Illinois. He said, you were talking about the pros and cons of vertical tillage the other day. Although I like the way the fields look after vertical till, and it will obviously aid in faster breakdown of residue, I have noticed that there appears to be a decent amount of residue that's ending up blowing into the ditches or into my neighbor's field. I'm wondering, okay. is that a significant loss? Is it plant material no. that has a lot of nutrients or anything else. No, usually doesn't. There's not all that much that you're actually losing. And at least you had that residue on your soil surface for a while to help protect the soil. We don't worry so much about residue loss. We do worry a lot more about soil loss. I mean, neither one is good. I don't want to lose the residue either. But yeah, that's that. That's just the way it goes. I mean, think about any situation. Even if you left the stalks stand tall, you did no tillage out there, you're going to have some amount of leaves and stalks that are going to blow away after harvest. So I I, I don't know. I mean, one, one way you can, can do this is maybe delay when you're doing your vertical till till right before your ground freezes up in the fall or right before you plant in the spring. I mean, there are ways to handle it. So at least you reduce that amount of residue leaving the field. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. The only innovation that matters is the one I need. With NK Seeds, their R&D program actually listens to farmers like me. So I get solutions that solve my challenges. With the support to make them count. Because progress means pushing my potential. And success matters. Push your potential at nkseeds.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. 
Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Today on the show, we've talked just a little about prepay risks and benefits. If you've got any questions on that or if there's anything else that you would like to talk about, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. Again, that's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We spent quite a bit of time on our show today getting to our Ag PhD mailbag questions because we had... A crazy amount of them built up here over the weekend and everything. And so, uh, Darren, let's uh, let's hit the next one right away. All right. Uh, this one comes from Shane, who said, Thanks for answering my question about putting on lime the other day. And I just wanted you guys to know I do have a three-year lease, and we've also got a clause in that lease about lime that allows me to recover money if for some reason I'm not able to farm that ground for Perfect. the duration the lime is being utilized. Hey, that's Perfect. a really good move, Shane. And I, I think here's the here's another benefit of just listening to what other farmers are doing because maybe you haven't been getting that kind of a contract on rented ground. That's something that's out there and it's fairly common that you could just talk to your landlord about and say, hey, I'm putting something out that's going to have a three-year payback or three years before it's fully utilized and – and I'd like some benefit out of that if for some reason you pull the contract on me if you want to go year to year. So anyway, good move, Shane. Get this one from Stan. He's down in north central Alabama. He says, I'm using cover crops of triticale, crimson, and tillage radishes. I've used your three pre-program for soybeans. But we have year-round weeds here. So we're usually spraying 12-inch to 36-inch tall cover crops with weeds mixed in as a burn down going into that next crop. So my question is about tank mix partners that I could add with the three pre's. So can I add glyphosate, ammonium sulfate, surfactants, 28%? What kind of things do you like the best? Are there certain surfactants to use or avoid? Really appreciate what you're doing. Okay, so first of all, here's the problem. He said, if I heard right, 12 to 36-inch tall cover crop. Right. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff. And my concern, But it also helps choke out a lot of those weeds. It does, but my concern is getting enough coverage to kill everything there. So when we talk about glyphosate, for example, it doesn't need near the spray coverage that Liberty or Germoxone need. A lot of times for burn down, those are the three choices of non-selective herbicides that we're throwing in with almost anything. I don't care if it's a corn herbicide, wheat herbicide, soybean herbicide. We're talking about, okay, should we add Roundup? Should we add Liberty? Should we add Germoxone? 
The, the case for germoxone is obviously no resistant weeds to Roundup. The case against germoxone is it takes a lot of water and spray pressure because you have to have great coverage, plus germoxone is very dangerous. So that's where Liberty kind of comes in because Liberty is very much like germoxone. It just doesn't burn things as quickly down, uh, and it's much safer. It's just a little more expensive. So what do you want to do there? I, I, I don't know. It, usually for me, though, when I say, hey, look, look, to Darren's point, I've choked out the weeds. All I really have is this cover crop. Well, none of those cover crops you mentioned, as far as I know, are resistant to Roundup. So yeah, I'm just probably throwing a good, strong rate of glyphosate in there, and I'm going to feel like I have done pretty well. But like I say, you'll probably have a few stragglers that you weren't able to get any coverage on because they're down underneath the canopy of the the cover crop. And it could be small cover crop. You see where I'm going with this. So a lot of times we're just talking about, hey, we have made this burn down application. We've used the three pre's, but even though I spent all that money, and, and I guess I shouldn't say it's all that much money, but it's some money. Uh, I'm I'm going to have to probably come back two or three weeks later with something else to burn down the rest of the cover crop if I didn't do a perfect job. All right. Thanks for the question. Got a couple of them here. This is from Evan, and Evan is in Saskatchewan, southwest Saskatchewan. A couple of things. First, phosphorus and then boron. So first of all, I noticed that on some of your soil samples, you show 100 parts per million of phosphorus. That is awesome. So I'm wondering if you guys are banding a blend that you're putting in 8 to 10 inches deep with your shank machine on your strip till and soil sampling the top 6 inches, how are you getting such high phosphorus levels showing up in your samples? Okay, the only way is with manure. We've used manure, compost, or broadcast fertilizer. When we're banding... So I don't care if it's with the planter or strip-till machine. Either way, when we're banding, we're not putting on build rates. I mean, yeah, it might be a very slight build. So, for example, I put on enough for 220 bushel corn and I only get 200. All right, so no big deal. But I'm not putting on enough fertilizer for 400 bushel corn and producing 200 and thereby having a build. We're not building in the zone. We are just trying to feed that crop to the yield goal that we're shooting for that particular year. So yeah, if we have really high levels, that's either broadcast commercial fertilizer, manure, or compost. Okay. Uh, next one here. You said in your November 8th show, you guys had a segment on boron. I feel you absolutely nailed it. The suggested four pound per acre of actual boron rate does sound very high, and many agronomists would have a stroke if you told them that you applied that rate. But we have actually applied four pounds of actual boron with the spreader on about a fourth of our farm. We use the same 15% sodium borate, calcium borate mix that you showed in your videos. However, after a year or a year and a half, the highest measurement we can find on soil samples runs between 1.1 and 1.6 parts per million. How long will it take the boron pellets to break down so we can see the two part per million show up on our soil samples? <laughs> Assume that we initially started right around 0 0.5 parts per million. Okay, so I don't know that it didn't break down completely. Now, I will say when we think Saskatchewan, we're usually thinking dry and cold. So is it possible there are still some pellets out there? Yes, it's possible. I would say definitely by the second season, you ought to see everything that you're going to see. But, 
you might not get everything that you think you're going to get, unfortunately, because who knows? There could be some type of interaction, negative interaction with the soil. You could have lost a little bit to leaching. Your crop certainly removed some. I mean, there are just a number of factors there. But the good news is, okay, if you're in a cold and dry environment, and you're even colder and drier than we are, uh, or at least I believe you're drier, uh, you know, in heavy soil, it's probably not going anywhere. We do have to worry a lot about boron when a, 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 an area is hot, has lots of rainfall, and the soil is light. So, for example, if you were farming in Alabama on a 5 CEC and you get 60, 70 inches of rainfall and you ne- your ground never freezes, well, you are going to treat boron completely different than Evan will or we will. But yeah, Evan, I think you're you're certainly on the right track with stuff. We know boron is important to crops. Here's the next thing I would would encourage you to take a look at though. Try to figure out what you actually need that boron level to be in the soil. So a lot of times guys are happy with one or two parts per million and maybe that is enough. Maybe that maximizes yield. I don't know. I like experimenting with things on small acreage to find out, well, maybe I need to actually be at two parts per million or three or maybe even five. I don't know exactly where we need to be in our soil, our environment, our crops. I'd keep I'd keep working on that, but it looks like you've made some good progress getting up from 0.5, which we know in a lot of crops that's yield limiting, up to at least 1.1 and 1.6 parts per million. All right, thanks for the questions. A little earlier, Brian was talking about a dicamba product that also contains a safener, talking about status. Got a question from Mike. He said, for us non-farmers, can you explain what that safener is, what it actually does? Uh, Okay, so there are products like dicamba that can be kind of hard on the crop. And in the case of dicamba, what the very simple explanation is it grows the plant to death. It's an auxin, and the auxins are hormones that stimulate growth. So with dicamba, it's trying to overstimulate growth to the point that the plant can die. With dicamba, plants, corn plants, can normally metabolize that to some degree. It's just that it takes a little time and takes some energy in that plant. So how exactly the safener works, um, I don't remember off the top of my head with that one. But all I know is when the safener goes with it, for whatever reason, the plant just is able to tolerate more dicamba. It suffers from less of that particular issue of being grown to death. So it helps it metabolize better or something. Again, I don't know the specifics. I apologize. But all I know is it does make it safer. We'll get to more of your questions right after this. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker-treated nitrogen. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. 
Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy to handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Acre to acre, year to year, generation to generation, nobody scrutinizes performance like you do. And acre to acre, year to year, generation to generation, the consistent performance of Vasgro brand soybeans helps to keep your profitability out in front, offering leading agronomic expertise and 100% exclusive genetics for strong yield potential. Ask your dealer how much further you can grow when Asgro leads the way. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Back to the St. Two Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And we were just talking about Milo um, just a minute ago with Dale down in Florida. And he's in the western side of, of Florida, kind of over by the Alabama border. While just north of the border in Georgia, our friend Caleb farms there. And Caleb... Uh, sent a message. He said, hey, I was listening to you guys talking about the potential issues of grain sorghum in this area. We are growing Milo in southwest Georgia, and the biggest issue is by far sugarcane aphids. There used to be a lot of Milo grown around here until the sugarcane aphids came because they would destroy the crop. Now there are resistant varieties, good seed treatments that give early season control, and labeled products like Savanto and Transform that can now be used in Milo that work great on sugarcane aphids. Yeah, there are a lot of insecticides that will work on aphids. Typically here in the northern United States, we don't have a lot of resistance to the pyrethroids, but the pyrethroids have been very popular at controlling aphids. It's just like I've always told people, you know, the the pyrethroids aren't super strong on aphids. So you can't be skimping on the rate. Make sure you're using the full rate. And we've had better control out of some of the organophosphates like Lorsban, but then obviously some of these new products, they're they're really, really good and also easy and beneficials. You start talking about Transform and Savanto and stuff, I mean, it's... It, it, it's great. Now, it's not great if you have many different insects and you want to control them all because these aren't broad-spectrum products. But if you're just after those aphids, 
yeah, it's excellent. And it really does not cost that much money. I think transform per acre is something like six bucks, for example. So not a bad deal. No, no, there's some really good products out there. Okay, speaking about Milo, get this one from Rick. He said, was wanting your opinion on planter versus air drill for Milo and soybeans. I mainly raise wheat, but I am starting to rotate more acres. Just wonder if I need to have a planter to do it or if I can get by with the air drill. Well, you can get by with the air drill. But, you know, when we start talking about better seed placement and great seed to soil contact going for higher yields and also trying to minimize our seed cost as much as we can then that's where the planter comes in but if you're only doing a few acres and you already have a drill then you can absolutely go that way our one of our challenges just to speak on something a little bit different like with soybeans has been when we get to really narrow row spacings we have a lot of problem right here with with sclerotinia white mold and if we can allow more air movement through the the crop, then we typically will see less white mold. So we've actually done better with our, I'm calling them wide rows at 30 inches versus the narrow row drill where we had been doing a lot of 10 inch stuff. Uh, next one, we've got a question from Bob in southwest Wisconsin. He said, our soil is sandy loam, drains well, still holds decent moisture during dry spells when compared to our neighbors. We've got a two-acre lawn that I've maintained with annual fertilizer application and regular weed control. I'm retired now, and I'd like to upgrade the quality of my lawn, so I'm just wondering. I should probably start with a soil test. <laughs> yep. How many samples would you suggest I take across a two-acre lawn? Also, when I'm sending the samples to a lab, what elements, et cetera, do I test for? Okay, well, if money's no object here, I'd probably take four. I, I would look at it this way. What is the lawn like? Now, you're in southwest Wisconsin. I know southwest Wisconsin a little bit. It's pretty hilly, and you may have a lot of terrain change, and you may be able to measure or to manage things a little different. For example, if you've got a hilltop, a side hill, a, a low valley, those kinds of things, you may want to take tests in different areas. Now, if you just said, hey, it's two acres, it's all flat, and it all looks the same. It never dries out at a different rate or anything like that. Yeah, maybe you want to take four samples or something. But if there's a lot of terrain change, I might do it a little different. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't cost much. You're going to spend at most 25 bucks a sample or around 25 bucks a sample. So we're talking $100 in soil tests. If the lawn is that big a deal to you, I'm assuming you're not going to care about 100 bucks. So yes, I would get the soil test done, and then kind of go from there. Usually when we talk lawns, it's three things. It's calcium, nitrogen, and sulfur. If you make sure those three nutrients are good, then generally speaking, your lawn looks pretty good. And certainly there are tweaks to that, but, uh, but those are big keys. All right. Got a question here. Uh, can you make a video about balancing boron nutrition? Well, that's interesting. We get a lot of questions around boron, and I'll just say this. You've got to have a lot of other things balanced in your soil before boron becomes the biggest deal and the biggest yield-limiting factor usually. Right. And, you know, the thing about boron is as we move further west and we have less rainfall and as we move further north and we have colder climates, we can get boron to hang up in soil a lot better than when we move south and east, have more rainfall, more heat, and lighter soil. So that there's a lot of discussion here to go into boron, but I'd say this, if you want every plant tissue test to show high levels of boron, you're going to be putting on a lot of foliar applications because that boron uptake needs to be 
consistent and constant through the year if you want that. So I don't know if you need that for high yield, but uh, if you're looking to make every plant tissue test look awesome, then you need to have good water <laughs> and you need to have boron that's constantly going to be available. All right. We actually have done videos like you're talking about. If you just search uh, on the internet for Ag PhD boron, I just did that and, and uh, clicked on videos. And I think I've got 10 or 11 videos here. So, <laughs> yep, we got plenty of information out there about boron. So you can watch those videos uh, from some of our past shows. All right, uh, get some soil tests here. This one is from Bob, and I'll it over there, Brian. Bob says, I have a grower that I'm working with whose neighbor needed to get rid of some hog manure a few years back when his pit was getting full ahead of harvest. Oh, boy, I remember that. He said, my customer had chopped some corn, so they had a spot their neighbor could apply the manure. The manure went on pretty heavy, and the grower has said that since that, the crops haven't grown well there. Now, he has some corn, has had corn the past few years, and it dies off early. Now the fall-seeded rye, and, and the rye is dying out there. I had a soil sample taken and attaching the results. I've noticed extremely high iron and maybe a higher magnesium to calcium ratio. Can you look and see what you noticed? Do you have any advice on balancing out high iron levels? Well, it's 103 parts per million. Is that a deal breaker? I mean, is that terrible? No. And the pH says six. I'm, I'm thinking uh, about base salt. Base saturation K is five. Salt says zero. Uh, and also, uh, sodium only says 1.5%. That is not horrific. So if it was five or something, that would be different. But, you know, when I at first glance... And maybe there's something I'm missing, but I don't see anything here where I go, ooh, your crop's going to die. I actually look at this and say, it looks pretty good. So it makes me question, is there some kind of carryover from some herbicide that got put out there, something else that went on that ground? Because I just don't, I don't, I don't see anything that, that is a real problem here. I really don't. In terms of the iron, uh, you know, you could look at, and I'll, I'll pull this up. So we talk about Mulder's chart and the interaction of some of these different nutrients in the soil. So I was just going to see if there's anything that I can uh, can can see there. I don't, I, I, there's nothing off the top of my head that I can think of. So uh, Darren, do you, I mean, was, did you look at this? Was there, there anything you saw? Cause I just, no, I didn't look at the soil test. I just handed it over to you. That's how quick it was moving here. But uh, I would say yeah, this, I, I, I just think when you put manure out there, how is that stirred up? How is it mixed? You know what I mean? If, if there's well, some sort of problem okay. that way, yeah, that and, we just took the top off. We didn't even stir it up. Okay. So, mix it up. so what is this? I mean, this is one soil sample. Is this from the worst spot out in the field? That's a great question. Okay. If it's not from the worst spot, then that's the problem. So go to the worst spot where stuff, they believe stuff is actually dying. And then let's talk about it. You know, when you, when you say iron, yes, there are certain ratios of iron to phosphorus, iron to copper, iron to manganese, to zinc. So there are some of these interactions that you could potentially look at with iron. You know, if that was doing it, maybe it's because your zinc is a little low and your phosphorus is a little low in, a, in comparison to the iron. So that's a possibility. But I'd, what I'd really like to see is a soil test from the very worst spot. All right. Well, thanks for the question, Bob. We appreciate that. Um, got a, oh boy, we've only got a minute here and we got a long question, but Peter said he's, 
I watched you talk about organic matter and working in lots of organic material into the soil with sufficient amount of subsoil microbes can build carbon percentage quicker. Manure compost feeds exclusively weeds. Humus feeds crops. Roots and residue build humus. Humus is not compost. Right. Humus is not compost. Uh, but we, we need things to fully break down. The organic material eventually becomes organic matter. But yeah, anything you can get out there for organic materials helpful usually when we talk organic matter eventually. Yeah, thanks, Peter. Thanks for checking out our videos. We appreciate that. Thanks to you for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.